You are listening to an MLGA Network podcast. Maddie, I have to ask you a very serious question. Why am I bobbing my head? Well, that and are you ready to denounce white supremacy? <sighs> um, well, if I answer the question racist. now... Ah! <laughs> didn't answer no, didn't so no that means you're a racist. <laughs> Wrong answer. I was going to say, um, if I answer now, do I have to answer again, like next week yes. or next year or, um, you know, every 45 minutes until the NPCs are satisfied? Yes. All of those. Every single one. Well, in that case, uh, I quit. <laughs> And I'm going to start speaking a different language or something. Welcome to Voluntary Vixens, where Jesse and Maddie give a female voice to news and pop culture with a libertarian twist. Join us to stay informed and challenged while keeping it sane, peaceful, and most importantly, voluntary. And welcome to the Voluntary Vixens. We do denounce white supremacy. In case you didn't gather that by now already, like I denounce all supremacies, except for maybe I'm supreme to. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm kidding. If anybody's been listening to this, everybody knows how I feel about myself. <laughs> I do feel like um, being a individualist is much more superior to being a collectivist. I would agree with that. So, I will say that. So, uh, yeah, the individual supremacy, right? right. Individualist supremacy. Can that can we? And and you know, the beautiful thing about that is that it doesn't matter what color you are, ever. Exactly. Go fly a kite as whatever color you are. I don't care. Yep. Or religion, or sexual orientation, or how many limbs you yeah. have, or <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've been watching a, a really weird show on Amazon Prime, or actually I should say it's a really great show, but season two of Goliath gets weird, guys. If anybody's out there watching, uh, I recommend watching it. It's pretty crazy. Uh, What's Goliath? Too, if, if, it's uh, Billy Bob Thornton, and he's like a defense lawyer. He's kind of washed up, um, but mm. season one, just as a little teaser There's a case that involves, like, a government defense contractor. And, of course, like, you know, stuff that we as libertarians or, you know, voluntarists or anybody who adheres to non-aggression, non-intervention principle would uh, appreciate some of the tones in that season. And then second season, again, I, I, I don't know who produces the show or what they're like at all, but... um. So second season is like surrounding activity in L.A. with uh, how the politics are really uh, in line with uh, the cartel. And so, you know, nothing like some good war on drugs, failed government policies and politicians being corrupt, like nothing new there. And so that was second season. I haven't started third season yet. I don't know where we'll go from there. So, you know, I've been uh, kind of distracting myself recently from um, just the melee of purposefully awful news that's out there and um, all the propaganda that makes 
people think that it is the end of the world. Um, it, you know, if it was the end of wor- the world, I don't know. I think like maybe things really wouldn't be this bad. <laughs> I don't know. It's like, you know, part of me feels like how yesterday I went, you know, I took a whole just break from being on my phone and on the computer and off That's screen real nice. for half the day at least. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was Columbus Day. Why are you laughing about because that? Because it's like I can only like I only literally can you get only away. Made it from, yeah, I'm, what I really like to do, and hopefully this will happen someday, is I can go to the mountains where I have no cell reception, nothing, and just enjoy being in the woods. Like that's what I really want to do. But um, yeah, we just me and my family. We went to the botanical gardens near where I live, and it was, you know, beautiful because it's a little chilly outside, but not too cold where you can't, you know, wear like a, you know, t-shirt. But um, the leaves were just changing, and I was just looking at how beautiful our world Mm. really is, you know, and I was starting to, like, breathe fresh air and just, you know, the gardens there, they had, like, fresh rosemary and um, different Ooh. herbs and stuff in their little gardens. And we picked some of it so we could just, you know, smell it. And the kids were just really into it for some reason. And I was, I just remember when I was a kid, I just didn't, I could have cared less about any of that stuff. But I was happy that my kids were just glad, to, you know, to be outdoors and play yeah. with each other and stuff. So, yeah. So that was some nice. Some degree of normalcy. And, um... I hope I didn't hear you say Columbus Day and that you really meant Indigenous Peoples Day, Jesse, because we have to be inclusive here and Chris Columbus sucks. <laughs> well, and then he wasn't even the first person to even, and we all know this, I mean, like any of us who have half a brain and have, you know, done any any amount of tiny bits of research, you realize that he wasn't the first one to make it to America, so... There's probably, to be honest, I mean, we know that Leif Erikson at least made it to North America much sooner or much before that. And then probably, I mean, let's face it, like, how did the Native Americans get there? How did, (laughs) you know? Yeah, I mean, people had been on the continent, obviously, in South America as well for a long time before Christopher Columbus showed up i mean the oversimplification of history in that example bugs me both on like the oh he's glorious and he did all this greatness and um you know he was the first to discover america and it's like no um we just you know went over reasons why that's silly and stupid but then i really do kind of like i and maybe and please if anybody like has some other stuff to correct me or uh, or supplement this like he at least is a figurehead or somebody to point to that would represent you know the the bridging of the old world with the new world mm-hmm. you know like the the european royalty funding the age of exploration where literally everybody was getting on a boat and trying to find something back then yeah and so he happened to find where did he land? The West Indies? Yeah. And he thought, you know, and that, and that was part of the whole mystic, you know, story that he thought they were, he thought he landed in India, but really, um, he didn't. He landed in, <laughs> you know, the islands south of Florida or so. And so nothing is exactly as it seems or was taught, but, um, 
I, I don't know. I mean, he didn't come over and give and purposefully give anybody smallpox. I just think um, the oversimplification both ways of yeah. that event in history is just one example of how the oversimplification of things like that do matter and do have really like world changing gravitas to them. It's like people don't appreciate where we came from. Or, you know, how much of a struggle life has been for humans along the way and all humans. Yeah. And, and, you know, the fact and, you know, everybody these days wants to just say, oh, well, it's bad really for this one type of human. And that's all we can focus on. Nothing else matters. Your struggles don't matter because of your skin color. And, and okay, you know. Maybe there is some truth to certain groups having certain hardship hardships right now in present day that other groups might not experience or don't experience to the same extent. But it's like, well, <laughs> we could move on from that, but it's a it's very convenient to keep us separated by those really not important. Um, dividing lines and it's it's easier to keep us down like that i actually read a book about like the vikings and how they made such a huge impact on civilizations like their explorations and then having so much contact with different cultures and how they shared all these cultures with each other unknowingly you know with through trade vikings matter yeah vikings lives matter and even i mean let's just be face it it, it it really does suck but the vikings were they did rape and pillage as well and they you know did a lot of awful things yeah but through all that um you know different languages were exposed and different behaviors and cultures were exposed and it brought us you you really honestly cannot look back at our culture and think that um, there it isn't inspired from another culture. Like there's so many things that we in that we today use, like our numbers are from from Arabic um, traditions, and our mm-hmm. language is English, but it actually comes from a Germanic past, and some of the culture, like the idea that women can have a voice and have some freedom that actually does come from Viking culture, <laughs> even though they did rape and pillage women. Right. So, um, there is, they did hold them in high esteem. Though, yeah. You know, when they weren't raping, <laughs> when they weren't raping them. Uh... But I think that it comes down to, and I think every culture at that time did have this mentality that like, you know, I have to, um, put my culture before someone else's just because it was a harsher time and people um, that with the language barriers and without the, the internet and uh, the flow of information, they did have these different viewpoints of different people being less than or different and dangerous to them in some way. And that protected them, you know, and this is something that I think is hardwired in human beings in general. We do like to generalize people. We do like to categorize things. And so it's just hard. That's a, that's a habit that's hard to break, but it's also been a habit that humans have learned to use and adapt to continue on their, their genetic, you know, information. So. Yes. Humans 
as biological beings, we're conservative specimens, and no, that has nothing to do with politics, but where it sort of may line up with some idea is that, like, it obviously takes a lot of energy doing anything we do, especially something as complicated as thinking. And I don't mean, like, NPC regurgitating. I mean, like, actually thinking. Really, most things we include... Most things we do as humans are just very expensive and taxing on us. They take a lot of our energy. They require a lot of our good rest, like why sleep is so important to our health and to our mental um, stability, why it's it takes so long for us to raise children. Um, you know, we, we grow a child inside us for nine months, which is pretty long in the animal kingdom. Mm-hmm. You know, others might hold them longer, but most animals do not hold their live, you know, a living child within them for that long. So that takes a long time and then they're born and then they're basically like, I mean, you're the mom, like when a a (laughs) newborn, what can they do? They can do literally do nothing for themselves. And then, so you as the parent are caring for them and because they couldn't survive on their own and they really couldn't survive on their own for many years. And then it's your job to try and like raise them so that they can, be able to raise themselves and then do the whole process again where they're able to make a baby yeah. and then keep that th- keep that thing alive. Like everything <laughs> we do is so expensive that anything that we've retained over the, you know, millennia, hundreds of thousands of years that we've been around sort of in the shape and form and uh, <laughs> DNA that, codes that we are, mm-hmm. anything that's stuck around did something beneficial it was it was good for the environment at the time and and so anything like that's still with us to this day was useful at a time and probably does still have its uses and like you said and we've said before that um you know this tribalism um it really is and a group identity is something very very much a part of our genetic code it's there whether we want it to be there or not. But like what we can do as obviously conscious people or hopefully conscious people and people that strive to achieve more and more consciousness and self-awareness so that, um, you know, they can be a better person and interact with better people and maybe get past some of their more primitive and brutish instincts is that, that like we can evolve and we can change and we can get along with people that we uh like we can be brave and you know deal with strangers that might not look or sound or smell or (laughs) anything like us but um i think you know the the better an economy or like the health of a society is doing um but like i think the economy is a good measure of that the better that that is doing i think the more free um in terms of interactivity and lack of regulation and um you know ability to move upward i think like the freer that is for the people and you know readily available resources or at least like resources that somebody can go in and utilize and make products for other people basically again like it goes back to whether it's restricted or not but so when when the economy is in poor health and maybe when things are more restricted, there isn't upward mobility and um, times are tough and, you know, the stupid Fed is uh, stealing our money by 
inflating away anything that we might all hold be holding on to in terms of savings like these are the kinds of times where it makes it, it makes perfect sense why we were kind of uh created or evolved the way we did like we stick to our own we get in groups we get tribal we get primitive and so you know they the the they know that uh, they've been they've been studying us they've been studying psychology all the s sickest psychological experience experiments we've heard of and those we haven't heard of they know exactly how to yank our chain and uh i do think that they're doing so i, I think that especially in times when um there's a lot of uncertainty and there's a lot of chaos that people mm -hmm. do want to draw into their collective groups. But the problem with the collective group is that you have to sacrifice innovation, your, your own creativity mm -hmm. in order to flow with the group because you can't stick out and you can't deviate at all from your collective. Right. And I think that that's where I think a lot of innovation has happened throughout history. That's why you have people like, I mean, as much as you guys want to hate on Christopher Columbus, for example, it took. It honestly did yeah. take someone like that, though, who had the balls, because at that time people didn't get on ships and go across the Atlantic. You know, you you know how much not only food it would take, but the manpower that it would take, and you know that mm. you're thousands and thousands of miles away from healthcare, from any real quality food that you like if you don't if you eat all your food you're done you're in the middle of the ocean you have nothing it takes balls really, to yeah, do that not having an not having an end in sight yeah so i don't know i can't sit around and say that and like i think this about everybody you can't sit down and think that everything that a person does is either all good or all bad so nope. i think it was good that people like christopher columbus took the trip travel the world. I think that like I think of the Vikings for example, as bad as they were on some things, they did share a lot of information across the world. I mean, they traveled all over the globe. So, they were able to, you know, exchange language, cut cultures, traditions. There were things that they didn't know how to do and then when they came back from their trips, they used those things at home. And they, it's, and then they, you know, made it their own thing. Um, probably a lot of us in Europe can thank the, um, the Vikings for just shipbuilding, uh, just that alone, because they were good at it. They knew how to get a bunch of men on a tiny boat and go on long trips. <laughs> Efficient. And you can thank them for dreadlocks, people. It's not all, dreadlocks are not. Cultural appropriation. The dreadlocks are not, they did not come from Africa. They did not just come from black people. When you're on a boat with 40 other men and you basically have to pee and poop off the side of the boat and you can't take a bath, your hair is going to get nasty. <laughs> it's going to get matted. That became a look. <laughs> I think everyone should really rethink dreadlocks. Yep. Yeah. No, it makes sense. It, But, you know, it took... The ideas of, like, individuals to encourage people to even get on such a boat. Because not everybody who was a Viking were riding on ships and raping and pillaging villages. Some, A lot of them stayed home and were farmers and builders. And, you know, they didn't go on these trips. 
So it took the courage of a few men to be able to uh, do that kind of thing. And they had to teach their children and their children's children how to survive on a boat for that long. Individualism has, it breaks through a lot of the, you know, some of the, the problems with collectivism, which is basically just no innovation, not a whole lot of change, not a whole lot of creation happening. I mean, I was just thinking like about Russia. I'm a fan of Russian authors and I love Dostoevsky and Pushkin and I was thinking about Alexander Solzhenitsyn. I was, I wanted to name my son Alexander so bad and my husband wouldn't let me do it. Did he even know? Yeah, he knew. Well, I, I mean, did he know like you wanted to name him Alexander because it would have, you know, been sort of a tribute to Solzhenitsyn? Yeah. He doesn't, does he even know who Solzhenitsyn no. is? I don't think, I mean, I think he knows of him, but he's never read any of his stuff. My husband is not, my husband is a computer science guy, so, like, his, he doesn't go to literary stuff. Like, when he reads, he reads, like, biographies and (laughs) stuff like that. (laughs) Nonfiction. But. I mean, what's it called? Uh, The Gulag Archipelago, that's nonfiction. Yeah, and that, honestly, I have yet to read that. That might be too eye-opening. I've only read, like, The Day in the Life of Ivan Dusinovich and Cancer Ward. And Cancer Ward, I swear to God, like, mm. that mo- that book is just, like, such... It was just such a trip to read that book. I don't know how to explain it. I think he, I think he talked about it a little bit more on one of our earlier episodes. Or maybe just he posted about it. I mean, so, like... These themes we're talking about now are things that we've talked about before, and we do think it's they're just important to reiterate that, um, you know, I think a lot of the ills of the world right now and a lot of the current tensions we're feeling, whether they seem to be, like, out, outwardly political or not, uh, I really do think it falls into, like, the, this is the curse of collectivism, and like you said, what it sort of does uh, is it stymies uh, innovation, it um, diminishes creativity, productivity. You know, there's kind of nothing really, like, more to strive for yeah. if everybody's collectively just going to the center. You know, there's no there's no reason or incentive to be an outlier or to reach... To reach for the stars, as we used mm-hmm. to be told, like, now it's really just, like, put on a mask, do what you're told, stay at home, we're all in this together, we're all equal, and it's, like, it, it really has changed from, um, you know, you can be anything you want to be to what color is your skin, oh, you're oppressed, you're a victim, or you're the oppressor. It's really good. It's um, a simplistic, you know. almost dumbing down of how to it's think so, about things. It really is. It really is. And um, Like, honestly, you know, I think racism... I love humans too much. We're better than all of like that. Like, when I think about racism, and this is why I I, I do think that, I, I still hold to this, I think that every single human being on the planet, I don't care who you are, I think that everybody has, like, a little bit of racism in them, because we do judge people off of things that we see... We do have, like, a judgment about people's race. We do. And it may not... And that's why I say that racism isn't the worst thing in the world because 
even though we make we might make a decision about a person or a group of people based off of their skin color, it may not necessarily be a bad decision and it may not necessarily be a negative way to think about that person or that group of people. So that's why I just think like, you know, we use the word racism too much and it just it we've watered down the meaning of it and it's pointless and useless now. And I'm not afraid, I'm not afraid of it. And like, if somebody calls me a racist, I just, I could care less, like at all. <laughs> I will be more bothered. Just because it's, it's not true. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, cause the way they're using it is like, I will be, I'll be honest. Like, for example, if I was going to be a lesbian and I had to date women, I would be overwhelmingly attracted to Indian women because I think that Indian women are like beautiful Right? Mm-hmm. And that, in a way, is kind of a racist way to think. But, you know, it's not a bad way to think, you know? Well, I wouldn't say it's racist because, like, I guess... Maybe it's prejudice, what, discriminatory. What we've... It's... Well, prejudicial, I think. They're, like, people are uh, conflating, like, I think prejudicial or stereotyping or generalizing with, like, racism. And so, you know, racism, I guess, is the idea that somebody believes that they are, either they themselves are better, superior. It it goes the whole, like, supremacy thing, like, really, like, or, um, thinking that one's race is inferior, like, one, a person is inferior due to their race, and I mean, it's really honestly a dumb invented word. And I think like, okay, so I get what you're saying. It's yeah. Like, but so, uh, you're, you might be prejudiced or biased towards Indian women. (laughs) If you were a lesbian, Kim, are you listening? (laughs) Kim, (laughs) Kim's not Indian. So, uh, you know, we all did think like all um, of us that were in that knew Kim, like from the beginning, like when we first saw pictures of her and saw her name, we all did think that she was, like, Asian, some kind of Asian. We definitely thought she was Asian. I mean. <laughs> so, who knows? I might have been, a, if, but, if yeah. I hadn't thought that she was Asian and I was a lesbian, I probably would have been, you know, trying to, trying to get there. But, you know. <laughs> I hope she listens. <laughs> She'll be like, ah, oh, what could have been? But I, yeah. Um, <laughs> in, a, in a parallel universe. But, um. I mean, that's just a simplistic yeah, way so. of, of, like, how a lot of us will discriminate and will, you know, categorize people. We all do it, and it's not the end of the world, and it's not always a bad thing. Um, so, you know. I've got another example of, like, how annoying it is to see and experience the word racist or racism being overused <laughs> and just really applied to everything, so... And how it is being taught to children. And um, so I've said before, like, I did some work in the public school system near me before I went and lived in Chile and, you know, lived out my quarter life crisis of working and living abroad and being very poor as an English teacher. Um, But so before I did that, I was working in public school nearby Montgomery County, Maryland. I, being a white female, was definitely the minority I worked heavily in the ESOL department, so the ESOL department was mostly comp- composed of, like, El Salvadorian, Guatemalan kids, but also, like, a good mixture of Cameroonese, Cameroonians, mm-hmm. 
people from Cameroon, um, and so like they spoke French, uh, and <laughs> it, it was I was at such a loss. Like I can speak Spanish, and then there's French, and I'm like, nope, can't do that. <laughs> but um, so anyway, you know, like they speak French, but they are from Cameroon, and they are from the continent Africa. They have black skin, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so they were all, we're all, all these kids are in these classes together, and they're not too fond of each other, mind you. Yeah. Like, you know, but again, only white people can be racist. But, um, (laughs) so one of the classes I was working in was like a higher language level, like basically a science class taught in full English, but it happened to be kids from the ESOL program, but like later stage, like ESOL three or so. And so, and, um, you know, me being a science nerd, it was the perfect, perfect, like perfect place for me to be. But, so, like, one of the kids one day, like, he was a young black kid, and, like, very nice guy, kind of a pain sometimes, but, like, you know, we liked him, and he was somewhat of an issue during class, and, like, just had attention and, um, direction, like, problems listening to directions or following directions or really doing anything he didn't want to do, but, you know, like, could tell wasn't a bad kid. But, like, so one time, um... I told him that he needed to stop talking because obviously the teacher was trying to teach and, you know, you're not supposed to. And he told, I think it was that, but like, and he told me like, that's racist. <laughs> and I was like, that's not racist. And, um, the teacher did speak up and like saw that interaction. And, um, and she was like, how could you say that about Miss, Miss Kate? Mm. Like, how could you, like, you know, she isn't like, she loves you guys. And, mm-hmm. You know, if she were racist, she and I wouldn't be friends. You know that I'm mixed race. Do you know that? And um, he was like, no. Like, and it was just, and um, so the teacher was, and I wouldn't have really known unless she said something, but it kind of did click when she said it that, like, she's got some Japanese descent in her. Mm-hmm. And, um, but again, it's like, she's not black. So, you know, this simplistic line of thought would have had her and I on exactly the same team because the, there wasn't enough melanin in our skin tone, you know? So yeah. I just hate the... And that's just an example, and he kind of, like... I, I hope that, like, that example made him not use it in the wrong way, maybe ever again. But um, I don't know. I You know, if so many people get away with it, then I think a lot of people are, especially this year, and, like, with it... with it cultivating to an election year so everything is worse and it's just like what isn't on fire um but you know so people are in their own echo chambers and they're um you know they are just on the internet being keyboard warriors for one cause or another and so they really don't know how it interacts or how they interact in the real world or how the real world even works because they've just been in this insulated and isolated bubble well i just think that we want like we have been if we want if we're not on the the news watching the news we're on our social media and we're only getting like the worst news possible and it's always bad because everybody else is getting censored or banned or just uh shadow banned like yeah we got shadow banned and i don't even know why but it just really we're still shadow banned yeah i think so too it put me it put me in a bad mood because I was just like I you know, I can't share with people like with people that agree with me even. 
I can't share with them like things that I find interesting or that me and Maddie find interesting. And I always liked, you know, when we would share stuff like getting feedback from people and it's just such a pain in the butt. It's, I know it's, been it's kind of depressing because you feel like you're just like talking to a wall and that's how I've, I have felt for the longest time before, like before me and Maddie joined our group, like I'm sure Maddie feels the same way I do. Like it you didn't have a whole lot of people that felt or thought like you and you felt like you couldn't speak up because the the voices that were the loudest were saying things that you vehemently disagreed with or you saw so many holes in the argument that you just couldn't stand it. And it was like, but you knew you couldn't talk because you didn't want to fight with your family or your friends, your coworkers. You know, when we, until we finally found our little yeah. niche on the internet... It was like the land of milk and honey, and um, you know, it's been a wild ride since we've all met each other online, some of us in person, which has been awesome to be able to do, and you know, I'm sad that we're all so far apart, because it is true, you know, we do have the minority opinion, and um, you know, one of our favorite quotes is, um, you know, uh, the Ayn Rand um what's the smallest smallest minority on earth uh but the individual mm-hmm. and so like we all have that sort of mindset whether we like it ever, not everybody likes Ayn Rand um I kind of love Ayn Rand um or at least her work and her ideas and you know but not to say that they're infallible you don't but anyway, yeah. well, um, that actually, that's really to anybody who's sitting there like, you brought up a good yelling point. at me recording. You brought up a good point because I was listening to the Michael Malice um, interview with Max Friedman. And that, like, I could tell that Max and Michael have differing opinions on, you know, how to view, other, how to view the world around them. You know, Max is talking about, like, how mm-hmm. can we share love with everybody? And Michael's like... We don't have to love everyone, (laughs) you know, and that's okay. Like that's not, that doesn't make you a bad person. And then because there are people out there that, you know, and I've gotten into some arguments with them that believe that people are born good. They, the, the, you know, they're the light of the, like we're, we're these wonderful beings until we're not someday. And so I don't know where they think like if we're all born good, how things fell so far from that. But I'm I'm probably like Michael. I I think that we are not born perfect. We have a lot of infallibilities about us. Mm-hmm. I don't think that being I don't think there is such a thing as perfect. And like that was one of the things that Max would try to argue with him about is about this like anarcho capitalist utopia. And and Michael had a really good point. He said the only people that use utopia when they're talking about libertarianism are people who are not libertarians because libertarians know there's no such thing as a utopia we don't even play with that idea and i was thinking that is so absolutely true that is like the biggest thing that it's just like that argument and then the argument about corporate like that libertarians must love corporations because they because they're they think that corporations are capitalism um is two yeah. things that I see feel like I get um I used to get in that trap so much with people and until I, I realized like I don't believe in a utopia. 
I don't think that we'll ever have a utopia. There's not going to be like an anarcho-capitalist country. And I don't think that it would, I don't think that that would ever even work. So, you know, but I do believe in um, a society where we allow people the freedom to be themselves. And, um, and we used to have that. I feel like growing up, I felt, I never felt like I really had to deal with that so much until recently. And I just, I don't know if it's like, I, I, I feel like, and to be honest, I feel like the corporations are the ones that are really putting the hammer down on all our, all of our freedoms in a way, you know, these corporations along with the C I'm sorry. I know that sounded a little bit conspiratorial, but the CIA, like Google and Amazon and the and Twitter, and I'm sure the F Facebook and Instagram. I mean, there's there's a paper trail that connects yeah. all of them, and that is not a conspiracy. They all have contracts. They all have paid contracts with the CIA, and we know that the CIA has always been interested in psychology and trying to um, mm -hmm. control the way that people think on mass and how they behave on mass. And so it would not be a surprise to me, and I don't think it really is that much of a stretch to believe that all these corporations, along with the CAA, have been trying to collect all of our data. They they filter out what news we're allowed to look at. Like, there's actually some, and I'm not going to talk about it really on here, but there's, like, some new information that I just, like, saw recently. And I was wondering if we'll, if that will be, like, the October surprise. But, um yeah. I looked it up. I think I know what you mean. I, I don't have Google on my phone anymore. I just search up. I search through DuckDuckGo and Bing. And I kind of compare those two. And, I mean, this information, it was really hard to find. The major news sources are not picking up on this news. And so I just thought, I started thinking, like, you know, because I hadn't been seeing it on Facebook or Twitter or anything. And, you know, Twitter will send me notifications on, like, the updated new story that's going out you know what was the princess wearing yeah. like i don't give a flying you know what what any royalty member in 2020 is wearing i don't even care about what hollywood is doing and i mean i don't i don't either i used to be like all interested in that kind of stuff too like i'm not even gonna lie but i mean you know and maybe that was a simpler time and, you know, people say that they watch the Kardashians because it's entertaining and, you know, it's mindless. And I'm like, I don't enjoy stewing my brain that much. I will say, like, the mindless activities that I like, I uh, downloaded Words with Friends. Mm -hmm. uh, DM me if anybody's on Words with Friends and wants to play with me. Um, I'll find you. But I really did that so I could, like, play with my grandmother and have a relationship with her right now while she's uh recovering from a lower back fracture a lower, mm. lower spine fracture but um also because like i said it's a nice distraction from uh if i'm on if i'm doing that i'm scrolling less i'm um on twitter less i'm on feeds less i'm depressing myself further <laughs> less yeah <laughs> you know because honestly like where I, I don't know i feel like i was not caught up on anything for a while and then I did catch up on everything and 
watched or listened to, like, binged a ton of podcasts that I listened to, like, shout out to the proper report, thank you for watching and reading the news that I don't have to and don't want to because, again, life is rough enough as is, but, um, and so once I did kind of catch up on everything, I, I felt, you know, as hopeless as the propaganda wants you to feel, and so I was just like, all right, I need to take a little tiny break, and I started listening to a book on Audible, uh, recommended by the meme DeLorean. Mm-hmm. You should follow him on, uh, <laughs> you know what, you know his uh, other account, right? Like, yeah. you know who he is as an actual person. <laughs> Shout out. Um, but re- I'm listening to this book that he recommended, and it's basically like, it's from the 60s, I think, called um, The Present, This Present Darkness by Frank Preddy. And it, seems like it's a very much like a classic good versus evil you might actually enjoy it it's um like demons and angels sort of and how like they're interacting with each other and interacting with people of this town and you know i know and it's kind of it's a it's all the while important and i and it goes back to what you said about like people aren't born good you know, we're born with the capability of either doing bad or being good, but good is not the default. It has to be worked at and obtained and reached for. Like, otherwise, you know, our really basic primitive animal instincts, I wouldn't say human instincts, I'd say more animal-like instincts, um, you know, those can dominate us if uh, we kind of lose sight of what is good and that there is good in other people and that we should all be reaching for our own best good as individuals so that, you know, we can all just be the best we are or best we can be. And then, you know, what would that do to the community and and the people around us and the other Mm -hmm. people in this world? Well, and and, um, I think, so yeah, just a classic, good versus evil story and i'm digging it it's a nice uh, distraction but i think of course relevant yeah and i think that um i think like in this time like i was talking i, I kind of well i'm gonna kind of sidebar to a, a, a another scenario that happened here in town so i'm in this group i'm on i'm only on like secret groups on facebook i don't ever post anything public anymore or look at anything public nope. anymore so nope. As far as my family knows, I don't even have a Facebook account anymore, but I'm on this group that's in my, it's just my local town where I live now. And there's a, there's a small group of us that are, we see where things have been going in our town. We're not super happy about the mask mandates. We have been keeping up with the numbers on the CDC. We know that, Mm -hmm. you know, COVID is not like this plague that everybody says it is. And we're watching the, our town and the people around us lose their mind, okay? So yep. today, there was this heartbreaking story from this this mother. Uh, she has two mm. children, and she goes to a local, um, not far from where I live, actually, a, a clinic where she sees a nurse practitioner. And the nurse practitioner knows her history. She has a history of PTSD. She's been through a lot, a lot of horrible things. And... Um, one of the things that um, she she told them when she came in that she had a medical exemption because of her PTSD. 
Well, the mm-hmm. re- the lady at the um, reception desk would not, you know, said, I'm sorry, but we can't let you go back there unless you have a mask for you and your kids. So she was like, well, go mm-hmm. get my nurse practitioner. I've literally had a panic attack in her office before. She knows. She has seen me. She, she'll write me a, an exemption. Her nurse practitioner mm-hmm. refused to write her an exemption. And so they said, so then she said, okay, well, if I don't, if I, can I wear a face shield? I guess she had a face shield in her car. Can I wear that? Just so that she can get her kids' appointments done and everything. Well, she had a panic attack in the office, like in the lobby right there in front of everybody. Now this woman, like. Mortifying. This is what's really messed up is that like when she told them that she had a medical exemption, they asked her what was her medical exemption, which is a violation of HIPAA. You cannot. Yeah, I mean she doesn't have. She to doesn't tell have them. to tell them. Yeah, you cannot expect her to yeah. tell you what her diagnosis it's not is. Their business. Yeah. And um, so she's having a panic attack, and the. Let me just say that with some people who have PTSD, like they have been victimized in ways where somebody has put their hand over their mouth. Or they had duct duct tape on their mouth or something like that. And so let me just say, when you put a, that will bring up putting something back over their mouth is going to make them feel like they are in that situation again. Bring them straight back. And she's having this panic attack in front of her kids. She's trying to call her husband. She can't get any words out. I've had panic attacks before, so I understand um, what exactly she was going through. And... They were basically, like, she, I guess she finally made it out to her car and got her face mask, come back. They told her, we're done with you. You're not a patient at our clinic anymore. Oh, my gosh. And so I was just telling my mom this story, too. And I was like, this makes me even more, like, I'm a nurse. I'm a healthcare professional. I can't even, for a second, even imagine. And maybe it's because I have a history in psych. And I've seen people with horrible backstories go through such emotional turmoil. I have some, a little bit more sympathy for them and empathy for them. So, but it still to me is just, there's no excuse for a healthcare professional to not allow somebody a health exemption for a mask. They've already got to dress up like an astronaut. You can tell me because I don't know this for sure, but like as a nurse or as a healthcare professional, period, isn't everybody supposed to really like agree to the Hippocratic Oath? Like, mm-hmm. do no harm first and above all else, do no harm. Yes, it, the, there's like yeah, a similar. We have to make the Nightingale Oath, which is very similar. Um, <clears throat> basically the same thing. You don't do no harm, and <laughs> I've also, you know. I have a really good friend and you guys will listen to her on this podcast too. She was the the nurse that went to New York and talked to us about COVID and um, her experiences working with patients up in New York. I mean, she has a really good philosophy that her mom taught her. And it was like, you just, you try to leave people better than how you found them. And I think that's a, mm-hmm. as a healthcare professional, we should definitely strive for that. And I felt like a nurse practitioner that would literally let some woman have a panic attack in her lobby and then, and then discharge her as a patient and her children, by the way, 
it's not just the patient, her children as well. Like she sees all well, of I them. I guess we should I guess we should be glad that they didn't call and have the state remove the children from her custody. Yes. Because she was unable to comply and wear a mask. I mean what a disgusting I mean, I'm not saying human that's not being. necessarily it's disgusting that we're even at this point and you know so their justification is that their policies they've got to stick to these policies these policies are the same kind of like same in the same vein as the policies that governors cuomo wolf and whoever is in charge of uh, new jersey is that murphy maybe i don't know um but so like the gov- it's like the governor sent all these sick people back, sick COVID patients back to their nursing homes because I guess like they they wanted uh, more space at the hospital for other people. Again, a very generalist collectivist idea and clearly is responsible for the vast majority of deaths in this country. It's not Donald Trump's fault. It's those fucking governor's faults. Like it's... It, I, I don't care what you have to say about the president. Like, not relevant. <laughs> I mean, and, then, and um, that's the thing. It's just, just use your brain. Like, people who had direct, they had a direct um, orders. They made the direct orders. They're the ones that are responsible. It's just the way it and is. And then, yeah. And then another thing with, like, these policies that we've experienced and watched sort of take lives that didn't need to be lost in the guise and under the cover of we're doing this to save other lives, right? But, like, the whole ventilator thing, we don't hear about ventilators these days, do we, right? Because we realize well, it's because awful. they realized that it was killing people. It was, like, literally blowing people's... Um, lungs up. It was tearing their lungs, lungs up. up. Because their lungs were already <laughs> shredded from the virus. The virus had already just destroyed their lungs, and then you're forcing air in and out of them. It was tearing them up. The tissues were damaged. Yeah, it was just, well, it was just like, here, let's increase their viral load, why don't we? And? And really, it killed those people a lot faster and or unnecessarily when, you know, it didn't have to be that way. And again, like, that was, that's okay or going to be okay ultimately because the policy said it was okay to do that. And that policy was put in place again to, quote unquote, just protect other people, but fuck that patient that, you know, had it. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's like, like they, they were really quick to put people on ventilators. They wanted, they kind of skipped over CPAPs and BiPAPs, which are other forms of ventilators, but are not invasive, which means like you're putting a mask on their face. They didn't like those because the chance of aerosolizing the virus was higher and it would put the, the healthcare workers at risk, right? Which meant that you'd have to put these people in special rooms and things. Really, what it came down to, it would be a lot more work for the healthcare workers, a lot more work for the hospital. So they didn't want to do all that extra work. So they're just going to put a patient's life at risk because that's a lot less work, which is absolutely, positively disgusting behavior. And as somebody who's a healthcare worker, I let me just say, when I was pregnant with my first child, I was a float nurse, which meant that I was working in a hospital. I was floated to different floors wherever they needed me. Guess which floor was always short? It was either the respiratory floor or it was always the oncology floor. I begged them and pleaded with them, don't put me on the oncology floor. I will go to any other floor you want me to. I'll do anything else while I'm pregnant. 
just please don't put me on the oncology floor because I'm worried about being exposed to radiation and chemotherapy. Yeah. And um, everybody told me, well, Jesse, you're you signed up for this as a nurse. You're a nurse. You have to just deal it. You got to do your job, Jesse. You just got to do your job. And um, so I put my child at risk. And I'm just going to say, like, there's a lot of things that I did that I realize now was putting my child at risk. I'm so lucky that that didn't happen. But I remember, like, um, working. I mean, I'm working, standing up on my feet, 12-hour shifts, exerting my body. And I didn't realize this, but I was slowly leaking amniotic fluid throughout the end of my pregnancy to the point where, like, when I actually went to labor and everybody thought, like, you don't look like you're, you know, you don't look like you're ready to pop or anything. Well, yeah, because I'm leaking amniotic fluid constantly. <laughs> when they finally went to try and induce me and break my water and everything, nothing came out. And the doctor, and then I ended up having to have an emergency C-section because the cord wrapped around my daughter's neck like twice or something like that. It was just a lot. And I, to this day, you cannot tell me that the stress of my pregnancy and all of that did not cause me to have to have that emergency C-section. You cannot tell me that. I'm sorry. It's just too much. It was a stressful job. I had nobody to support me. And the fact that a lot of these same nurses that told me, Jesse, you just need to suck it up. You signed up to be a nurse. This is what it means. Are also the same nurses who are willing to put patients on ventilators and put their lives at risk. For, to save their own. So that's just a bunch of BS. Or to not treat them and let them freak out, have a panic attack meltdown in the waiting yep. room instead of seeing them. Knowing what we know now about this virus, having the ability to at least try to check with this lady, like, all right, well, if we're going to let you in without a mask, you know, I don't know why they couldn't, you know, do some testing like all right well like let's check your temperature i know like this like just try to mitigate the risk further and further and further so that they could still safely see her see her children mm -hmm. i mean like you know the the np should have, is get, definitely wearing some high level medical mask anyway maybe give her an n95 like again it is their job to treat their patients yeah and no, and no, and no, this doesn't mean that free healthcare for all, like, would solve this. This would make it worse. Guys. It'd be a one-size-fits-all healthcare. You would be having people who, yeah, would, I mean, it's with, who would be having panic attacks and, ha and, you know, or have respiratory issues and they can't wear a mask. You'd be forcing these people I think, all to be doing the same yeah, thing. And I mean, it'd, be, it'd be awful. It would not be healthcare. It'd be not, it'd be like not said, caring at all. Like you said earlier, like just that what this year is sort of highlighting is, uh, and it should be more, it's more obvious to me than ever, but like I already saw it. So I, you know, again, it's just even more obvious, but I think like, I do think people are waking up more this year than ever before because of this, but like. Some people are doubling down. One size. Too. It's, it's disgusting. I don't know. I know. It's depressing. People that I'm friends <laughs> I know, with. I pray for them. Eh, I know, and some of my friends are just slipping further and further away, and I'm just like, wait, 
don't go. But um, I was going to say, like, you know, so we're seeing in so many cases and instances that the one-size-fits-all, top-down, federal government, generally, approach to things doesn't work, it doesn't help people, it doesn't save people, and, you know, whether it's, uh, we can apply it to healthcare, um, and we can apply it to these lockdowns, and these mask mandates, and all of these other collectivist orders that are from this evil apparatus known as the state, like, they're more than ever, like, we're seeing so many of them cultivate <laughs> all at the same time, too, like, and just, again, like, you know, uh, it even applies to, like, police brutality or the actual violence inflicted upon citizens by the state. Mm -hmm. We see that the one-size-fits-all does not work. And we really, you know, what can we expect from such a bloated, bureaucratic, really, truly, like, evil concept, evil in concept thing, like, that is the state? One of the things I learned in psychology was, you know, they, there is like a social psychology that you have to learn. There's a whole bunch of classes on social psychology and a bunch of theories. But one of the things that I learned was that large groups of people, it's like they, it's like everybody just gets dumber as they are in a group. So that's why you'll see a lot more. Uh, like when riots happen, it's not an individual doing it. It's like a whole bunch of people doing it because you see all these people doing it. So it kind of takes off that inhibition that you normally have. You can hide in the crowd and you can burn things, steal mm -hmm. things, whatever. Um, that's why, I mean, you'd be surprised. People are, people themselves, individuals themselves are even surprised at what they allow themselves to do in those types of situations. Which brings me to my, like, another point I was going to, I made to my mother today. I was like, honestly, it makes me realize, like, how many people that we live in the same town with are, would be willing to turn in their neighbors to the Nazis for hiding a Jew or something, so, uh -huh. or for being a, a, a Jew. Like, how many they yeah. would betray just because of a rule that's on a piece of paper it's absolutely insane. How many young, how many young George Soros's would there be of uh, you know selling out his fellow Jews to the Nazis? I'm sure that there'd be a ton, and clearly, like you said, like that evidence is more abundant than ever. And um, see, as an individual you know, too, you are responsible for yourself, and you hold yourself to a certain account when you see yourself as an individual. When you don't see yourself as an individual, you see yourself as part of a collective, you make you can easily make an excuse that you were coerced by someone, you were just following the rules, you were just doing what this authority figure told you to do, and so you take that you can easily remove that responsibility off of yourself and you don't have to feel that guilt. And which is what I think divides a good person from a bad person because this is what Jordan Peterson even said too, is that a good person even knows that deep down that he is capable of so much evil and he knows that about himself. And he's, he's not a truly, yeah, yeah, he's not a truly good person unless he knows mm -hmm. just how bad of a person he could be, but chooses not to be. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Sorry to interrupt you. But that's but absolutely, that's, that's exactly the point. Uh, and I think like, 
Yeah. Makes me think of like, um, and I know everybody hates Louis C.K., but he has like wonderful jokes about this. He's so funny. He has He's these so jokes funny. and he has this <laughs> one that was like, he knows this kid, like a friend of his daughter's has this peanut allergy and he is like, but what if he's supposed to die? Because he's weak, you know? And he, like, those are little thoughts he has in his head. And it, the reason why all of those jokes are funny is because I don't care who you are, you've had those thoughts in your head, too. And you relate to that. And that's why you laugh. So if you cannot look at yourself and at least acknowledge, like, your dark side, then you can't really be a good your person. shadow self. Yeah. You can't be a good person because you can... That's what people make the mistake of is they think that they're good people and that what they're doing is righteous and good while they're burning down a building that says Black Lives Matter on the side. You know, those people think they're being righteous and good, but they're not. And they are incapable of seeing Mm -hmm. it or they refuse to see it. And those are the people that are part of a collective. That's why... Yeah. That is why, folks... Maddie and I do not, we are not in a collective. That's why we are not Republican or Democrat or Libertarian. (laughs) We are, we, I think we identify ourselves just because everybody feels like they have to have a label as anarcho-capitalists or anarchists. But at the end of the day, we're just individuals and, you know, like my priority it's always going to be to my family and to myself first. Well, God first and then my family and then myself. But I don't have the ability to fix the world. So I have to just fix what I have right at my fi- mm-hmm. my fingertips, you know. If everybody just put that amount of energy into what they have at their fingertips, we probably would live in a better world. We would. We would. You know, and it doesn't, and I think also, just to be clear, just when you, as an individualist, it doesn't mean you don't care about the larger scale world. You just realize, like, if you're going to try to make the world a better place, you have to start with yourself. So, that's where the energy needs to start. That's where the most of the energy needs to go. Yep. Because, again, it harkens back to what I said earlier, like, everything we do is very expensive Mm -hmm. on an energy level. And so, like, our energy is best served in, you know, bettering ourselves, bettering our immediate family, our immediate life. Um, Because if we're in a better place, we're more comfortable. Again, it goes, again, connects to, like, the we're not going to act like brutish primates. We're going to be able to be nice people to our own family members, be nice to ourselves, be nice to our neighbors, be nice to the people down the street, be nice to the business owners, be nice to the people who don't have any money, be nice to, you know, people across town you've never heard of, but all of a sudden you know they need money. It it really does expand outward, but it has to be a nice, comfortable, like, firm, stable center yeah and that's you you as the individual and so i mean like if you go home and you smack your husband and you smack your kids around and kick the dog are you going to be a nice person to anybody else outside your home too i don't think so so it really can't you've got and then you probably drink you know so you're not nice to yourself yeah because you feel bad and you hate yourself and there's just nothing (laughs) nothing good there yeah so like 
that's why I'm saying it's like the, a lot of these people that spend a lot of energy burning everything down, they think that like all these politicians should be a certain way that uh, all these people need to denounce, you know, white supremacy or admit that they're racist, I guess. I don't know. But they want to control everybody else so much. People they have never met in their whole lives, they want to control. And they can't even get their own shit together. Like, you, nothing proved that more than, you know, <laughs> what was it? What was the name of the little town they made in um, Seattle? <laughs> they couldn't even grow oh, their own uh, food. Chaz. Yeah. They were ra- Chaz. I mean, throwback to Chaz. How many people Damn, were... Summer of love, man. That was good. How many women were raped in Chaz? Like, what, there's like rapes and robberies and uh, assaults. I think over over one hand. So like over five rapes, I feel like I heard about, but I might be wrong. I mean, I'm sorry, but you can't... What What is the point in joining your little society when you can't even maintain peace or grow your own food? You don't have a good idea. You don't have you don't have a promise for a better future for anyone. So, I think that we were doing fine without that and we don't need it. And um these are people that probably should have just spent a little bit more time focusing on their own selves. Yeah. Instead of trying to take agency away from other people and give that agency to the state. Just because you have abdicated your agency for yourself and your ability to run your own life, control your own life, be your own master, all of that, you know, be responsible for the outcomes um, or, you know, accept the consequences of your actions. Just because you're kind of deferring that or giving that to the state, abdicating that to the state or even just the general or the collective, like just because you might be doing that collectivist who's not listening because of course this is a very uh, pro-liberty pro-individual podcast and thus you're probably not a collectivist listening but if you are just out there generally you know in the airwaves across the energy sound waves um you know just because you're you've given away your agency doesn't mean jesse or i or you know really anybody else even people who don't have our ideas like i want everybody to understand that they do have agency and that it's really freeing, mm-hmm. you know, it's scary as hell, but, um, you know, there's, it, it, when, it, when you are really like in control of your own life, you have a lot better chance of making it better for yourself than if you were to give it all to the state or um, the collective and they don't care about you. You mean nothing. You're just a number. If that. And I think also part of it too is, you know, I was thinking about my husband, like me and my husband do not see eye to eye on things at all. My husband thinks that we're all going to die of COVID if we go outside. My husband decided he's a runner and he's been training for this marathon. And he decided that instead of running, it was a beautiful fall day, beautiful fall day. I was thinking like, man, he really should go running today. It'd be a perfect day to go outside for a run. And then all of a sudden I heard him running on the treadmill downstairs. And I was like, what are you doing? It's a beautiful day outside. And he said, I'm not going to go get COVID. I don't know what he's even watching or anything. Because there's like not been a whole lot of news about in Tennessee of new cases or anything. 
So I don't know what he was even worried about, but it, that's the type of stuff I have to deal with on a daily basis. Dear Lord. <laughs> so just pray for me, everybody, or send me good vibes yeah. because, uh, oh my God, my husband crazy. needs to wake up to the reality of something. He's very blue-pilled. Probably going to vote for Biden, guys. That's how bad it is. <laughs> Keep him home. Don't let him go. Like It doesn't matter in Tennessee. <laughs> At least on the presidential side. It's still, yeah. I do think we need to get it rid of just... our governor because he's useless. But mm. anyways, like, that's just what I'm saying. Like, that's a, that's what I have to deal with at home. Though I don't want to deal with the. I got I got my own stuff. I have to work out at home. <laughs> You've got your own house to put together. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And that's really enough for all of us. Mm-hmm. Like outside of ourselves, which is hard work. It never ends. And you know, it 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 should be the best work. Like what you can do to make yourself better. And, um, you know, how that's going to affect and impact your family. And again, you know, it it goes out from there. But, like, that's the most important work of your life. Really it is. Because, like, as a hospice nurse, too, at the end of the day, on your last, you know, when you're lying in bed and you're breathing your last breath. your last day. Who's going to be at the side of your bed with you? Are you going to be by yourself? Is it going to be somebody that you don't know a nurse that you hired to work with you or is it going to be your friends and family you know that's what you got to think about yeah obama is not going to be there trump ain't going to be there hillary ain't going to be there so to give them that much mental energy is not worth it let me just say yeah and if obama's at my bedside (laughs) as i'm dying Oops. Then I'm probably going to hell. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> Dear Lord. Well, on that note, everyone, um, if you don't already, hit subscribe on whatever you know podcast catcher that you listen to us on. Um, share a podcast with a friend who may be able to enjoy this. Um, you know, right or left or center or apathetic um anywhere in between follow us on instagram but you know we'd ask for you to take a little bit of an extra time on instagram trying to make sure that um we beat the shadow ban algorithms and so you might have to request uh or like to ask for notifications for when we post um videos or anything like to our feed um you can find us there at voluntary vixens um, I know with the shadow band, Jesse's been a little bit more active on Twitter, having fun over there. So you can find us at Vixen's Voluntary. What yeah, else subscribe to us on there too, because if we get more subscribers and more followers, I'll be more likely to put my energy there too. Trust me. So, um, yep. And then we have like, um, we are on Parlor, but we're not really doing anything much on there. But we may have to go there if we keep getting shadow banned. Um, yep. And we're that's voluntary vixens as well. And then if you want to donate to us, I know that some you know we we don't really use our our a lot of our donations yet. We just kind of let our money accrue because sometimes we do want to help people in need. So if you want to um, donate to our podcast at um, Patreon, 
or at vixens underscore voluntary there. Um, and maybe somewhere down in the email. future we'll do some more stuff there, but yeah. Yeah, I was either thinking Patreon or maybe moving to Rockfin because I actually like hate Patreon, but you know, it is what it is. Um, but Rockfin might be a good alternative. So, you know, if anybody's got any thoughts or preferences listening, um, you know, give us a shout. Let us know what you think. And um, we love hearing from you. It was definitely, like, depressing during the height of our shadow ban not hearing from you all yeah. and seeing any kind of uh, receptivity. And so really definitely appreciate everybody who helped out and um, shared our stuff. And, um, you know, it really does mean a lot to us because, like we said before, there it's a bit of a lonely life and a lonely world um, <laughs> aside from our friends on the internet. <laughs> yeah. Which is, yay, peak 2020. But anyway, so I guess, um, Jesse, anything else for the night? I don't think so. Let's just, let's just try to be cool with it, with our, with each other and not let the negativity get to us, you know? That's the key. Yep. And just try to be good people. Yeah, I think that's, uh, the least we can do, but also a very good thing for us to do, so... That being said, we'll catch you next time. In the meantime, keep it sane, keep it peaceful, and keep it voluntary.